0: Hi, my name is Aisha Small. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth and Education podcast, where I interview interesting guests to explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK. This podcast is brought to you by the Youth Think and Action Tank, LKM Co. Hi, welcome to episode 18 of the LKM Co. Youth and Education podcast. In this episode, I talk to... Charlotte Moulton of Britain Thinks and we talk about some research that Charlotte led which is about how young adults manage their money so you're talking about 16 to 25 year olds really interesting research um, talking about them at different life stages so people who are about to leave GCSEs, GCSEs, people about to finish their A-levels, people about to finish uni and about to enter the workforce or who've just done so and what money means to them, how they manage it and all sorts of interesting things like social pressure related to money. So this is a really interesting episode. I enjoyed my conversation with Charlotte very much, and it really got me thinking about how I, what I know about money, and also I hope it will get you thinking too. So do enjoy.
1: L K M Co believes society should
0: ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to
1: make a full fulfilling transition to adulthood find us at lkmco.org can we listen to it now
0: yes good afternoon charlotte good afternoon <laughs> all right so Aisha's sitting here with charlotte morton malton morton morton from britain thinks yeah. first of all what is britain thinks
1: so we are an insight and strategy consultancy um, so to break that down a bit, we do research primarily, qual- qualitative and quantitative research and use that to inform our clients' kind of strategy, communications and um, that kind of thing. Work across a range of sectors, so from private sector to kind of social research and policy research.
0: So are you uh, like a profit organisation? How does it work?
1: Yeah, so we're, we're a full company, private company, um, but we, yeah, we work across all sectors. Okay,
0: excellent. Okay, so uh, first of all, can you explain what your role is? You're a senior research executive. What does that mean?
1: Yeah, so day to day, I'm conducting research, whether that's kind of in the office in London or out and about around the country. Um, we'll be working on kind of a range of projects at the same time. So some things in education, some things more broadly across the social policy space. Um, yeah, it means we get to get out and about quite a lot, um, kind of see see all around the country, um, but also then based in the London office as well.
0: Cool. And what kind of led you to that? Because when we were talking before recording, you mentioned that you used to be a primary school teacher and you've done a bit of policy. So what led you to this?
1: Yeah, I started out um, training as a primary teacher and I became really interested in the research and policy side of education while I was doing that. So then looked at opportunities to pursue that and kind of jumped around between research and policy. And it's really that divide that fascinates me, kind of how we translate research and the, the insights from research into policy making um, so currently in a research role and I'm really enjoying that and kind of exploring a, a range of different topics really um, but looking at how those could inform policy in the future.
0: Why, what is it that um, caught your eye about policy and, and that kind of uh, intersection?
1: Yeah I guess it's a couple of things I mean policy has the potential to have a huge impact on loads of people's lives But also a sense that it's important to do policy in an efficient way um, and an evidence based way, I think. Um, If you're going to be kind of gambling with, uh, or not gambling, but influencing a lot of people, I think it's important that you know kind of how you're going to be influencing them. Um, And then I guess I also think that sometimes it's difficult to translate research into policy. Um, They can operate on kind of different timescales and different people working in each sphere. Uh, So having that connect and that joined up approach, I think, is really important, but not always uh, easy to achieve. Why do you think it's difficult to translate
0: research into policy?
1: Um, so I guess it's a range of things. I mean, academic research is often um, like sometimes criticised for being quite lengthy, quite wordy, and not always um, academics aren't always the best at communicating it to policymakers. Perhaps um, policy, I guess, is often um, kind of a discrete sector. You have people who work in policy that don't necessarily cross over into research or have a research background. So I guess it's just um, two different sets of people and trying to get them talking to each other. And if that kind of hasn't historically been the case, it just requires effort to build that bridge between them.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think you have to an adjustment level Okay, so for this survey, sorry, for this piece of research, yes. I should say, the full title is uh, Young Adults and Money Management, Behaviour Attitudes and Useful Rules of Fun, can you tell us a little bit about what the research was and why it's important?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so the Money Advice Service commissioned us to do this research. Uh, off the back of a review of kind of how financial advice is given there uh, last year. Um, they thought that there might be some interesting differences in kind of how younger adults, and particularly those who are transitioning from education to employment, manage their money and kind of approach that whole issue as opposed to the rest of adults who are slightly older. So really looking to unpick how young adults currently manage their money um, and what would help them to do that better in the sense that um, perhaps there isn't the right advice or kind of uh, information out there that helps young adults to do that in the most effective way. Um, So really it was looking quite broadly at kind of how young adults, what they are currently doing to manage their money and then looking at what sort of rules of thumb or what kind of tips and tricks would help them to do that better as they progress between school or university and their first jobs. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: and I noticed that it was um, so 16 to 24-year-olds, is that right? 16, 25, 25 year old, yeah. Um, and they were at the ends of, uh, kind of formal education structures, is that correct? So kind of um, after the GCSEs, after A-level, after university, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so we conducted a quantitative survey and that was with 16 to 25 year olds um, and we also conducted uh, qualitative workshop groups and in those qualitative workshops we, they were all aged 16 to 25, the participants, but we also split them so we had some workshops that were focused on those who had just left school um, and some that were focused on those who had just left university so that was within the last um, 12 months but I guess because it was an academic year, it's probably within the last of five or six months that they'd just left education. So most had just moved into their first jobs or were just looking for their first jobs.
0: Why were those? Um, why was it important for you guys to choose those particular points? So why not people who were still at university, for example?
1: Yeah, I guess we sense that this would be quite a uh, period of change for young people, um, and particularly a, a period where they might be taking on more responsibility for their financial management so moving from school they might also be kind of leaving home and the same with university and and it was the case that for most it was the first times that they were getting that kind of taste of financial responsibility and really having to stand on their own two feet in that regard uh, so we thought it'd be a particularly interesting phase at which to, to look at it and also um, a sense that that's the point in their lives where hopefully they would have the tools and be ready to kind of go on and go out into the wider world and take those tools with them to manage their money. Um, so we wanted to see whether that was the case really as well.
0: Mm, was it the case? <laughs>
1: um, as you can imagine it's a bit of a mixed bag so some people did feel like they they were well equipped but in general people were a bit hesitant. Um, a lot of them were really excited about the prospect of being in control of their finances and they really saw it as part of the Pathway to adulthood as part of kind of coming of age and growing up and becoming an adult, and they they reference that phrase like becoming an adult. Um, but a lot of them were quite nervous about it and didn't necessarily feel that they had the skills that they needed to make that transition. So there was, yeah, there were kind of two sides to that coin: excitement, but also a bit of apprehension.
0: Mm, understandable. I can't remember what it's like to be that kind of age. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I'm going to pick out a few key points that jumped out from the report. It's a really interesting sure. report, by the way. Um, so the first one is about one of the quotes that I noticed was, talking about money, it seems a taboo by some. Why do you feel that is? Like, what, what were your findings with regards to why young people thought that?
1: Yeah, I think it really came down to a couple of things. Um, a lot of young people felt sort of social pressure around how they managed their money, um, really in two regards. So on the one hand, they'd see celebrities spending on social media or their friends you know, buying new clothes, buying a car or something. And they felt like they had to keep up. Um, they felt that like they had to be able to uh, have the same lifestyle as these people that they saw um, so to let on that they couldn't do that or to kind of share any kind of concerns or to make that those purchases look less cool by kind of letting on that they would actually saved for the last 12 months to make it um, they didn't want to do that they wanted to portray that they were kind of happy-go-lucky and able to keep up um, and then also that translated people were worried about how they seemed to their their families even so we heard about how even if close relatives would ask them how they're doing with money they often said oh everything's fine even if it wasn't so again this kind of need to to feel that everything's okay and portray that everything's okay I think it led to the sense that they wouldn't ever want to let on that they were having problems around managing their money or or having to kind of talk about that in any way
0: um so I've got a couple of questions first of all I was reading this report thinking that could easily describe people in my peer group who were in their kind of 30s and 40s so is it confined only to young people
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that is a good point. And a few of them said, you know, it's just because we're British and British people just don't talk about these things. Um, So maybe not. Maybe that is just a broader finding. And, and, I mean, certainly I don't talk about my finances and my (laughs) friends and family. Um, Yeah, so maybe it is just a bit of a broader point. It would be really interesting to kind of compare that if I did some research with older age ranges and see if that changes at all. Mm. Um, But, yeah. And um, my other question related to that is, Are
0: there, we kind of spoke a little bit about it before we started recording, Mm. but are there any uh, differences depending on the characteristics of the young people, so class for example?
1: Yeah, I think nothing that really stuck out on this topic, kind of whether it was seen as taboo or not to talk about money. Um, Interestingly, a couple of the young people who had university degrees, um, one of them mentioned feeling inadequate because he was like there's an expectation that people of my age if you've got a degree you're kind of getting a good job you're sort of doing relatively well as one might kind of observe from the outside he was like if all of that if you look quite successful you're expected to have your money under control as well and he almost felt that it added a pressure you know if you're kind of relatively successful then actually you've got to be able to do this bit really well as well um which I just thought was quite interesting given we often think about um, those who are perhaps less privileged kind of struggling with this more but he really felt that the social pressure around it was exacerbated because he was doing quite well in society. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay so, um, oh yeah, so
0: the research um, uh, was comprised of workshops and also a survey. Were there any differences between what you found in the workshops and what you found in the survey in this regard?
1: Um, with regards to whether money was kind of seen as a taboo yeah. subject, um, I think it's relatively consistent. Um, yeah, it came through quite strongly, kind of in the workshop, certainly in this kind of taboo point. It's not a phrase that we sort of used or tested in the quantitative survey, uh, so don't really kind of have a direct comparison on that. Um, but I think it, overall the sentiment was quite consistent on that.
0: Okay. I noticed that young young adults I wish that they'd been taught more about credit, money, money mm-hmm. management, and um, kind of investments and budgeting. Uh, we first kind of kind of met via um, a project I was in on youth homelessness yeah. and when I, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because one of the findings from the young people that we worked with was that they really wanted more uh, advice and they wished that they'd been taught more about managing their money and kind of future life skills so I thought it was interesting to kind of talk about this with you and that it wasn't just confined to a particular group of young people and it seemed to be across the board so I was wondering what you thought about it as something that affected all young people or someone.
1: Yeah and that really stuck with me as well so that was part of my interest in the project was your youth homelessness project and there was a young man wasn't there who said that he um, hadn't ever had a bank account before and that really impacted his ability to kind of manage money and uh, and work his way out of homelessness. but I think you're right, kind of across the board in the workshops, people did want to know more about this. And it was quite interesting. Um, a lot of young adults rank this as quite a high priority in their life at the moment, learning more about money management. And they really felt that there were a lot of areas that they just knew very little about. And I mean, credit and investments were two of those, and credit in particular young adults. A lot of them actually knew that they should be building a credit rating. This was a phrase that they'd heard, but they didn't know how to go about doing it. Um, And also there was this just implicit fear of credit being something that you should avoid at all costs and like credit scare stories. They all had one, either from a friend or a family member or one that had seen in the news or the media. So they kind of didn't want to touch it, but also knew that they should be using it. And it was just that, that fear, I guess, and kind of hesitancy about how to engage with these topics. And they really just wished they had more information to help them
0: mm, it's interesting so i my background is as a math teacher yeah and i remember i did a lesson once for one of my classes i can't remember it would be like a year nine or ten class and um it was about credit i remember because we we're doing percentages mm-hmm. so we looked at uh, payday loans and i wanted to get across to them like how much of a rip-off they were so we looked at credit cards we looked at savings uh, rates and then we also looked at payday loans and they were Outraged. I mean, they were livid when we did it because quite a few of their kind of family members used these things and they couldn't believe what the percentage rates were and how they were being ripped off and so on. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, young people are aware of these things because they don't live in a bubble, they're there with their families and stuff like that. But in terms of the actual impact on people's lives and stuff, people don't really talk about it, which is kind of scary actually.
1: Yeah, it was. And I mean, we had a couple of. Um, people in the workshops kind of explain their experiences of credit, and there was one young man who said that he took out a phone contract at age fourteen, or, and then um, didn't really realise that he was kind of contracted to pay every month, and missed his third payment, and then got into debt, and then had bank charges on the debt, and then just it just went in a negative spiral. And it, but even then, didn't really appreciate kind of the significance of it until he tried to get a mortgage and then realised that his credit history had been impacted. But I think his exact words were like, why on earth didn't I know anything about this? And he felt quite, uh, angry. it's probably a little bit strong, but I guess just a bit um, annoyed that he hadn't been, that hadn't been part of his education or that he hadn't been told about that um, as a potential consequence.
0: Oh my God, I, um, that made me think of when I was at university, my, I had a phone contract and my phone got stolen. So I remember I was on the tube and then I got off the phone uh, got off the, uh, the tube and re- realised that I'd left my my phone, straight, yeah. like I realised straight away. Um, uh, and in the time that it taken me to find, so I had to find a phone box, which was still kind of plentiful at that time, uh, get onto one-to-one as it was then, which would now be uh, EE, I think. Uh-huh. Um, so it took me a few hours to do that, and in that time, whoever had stolen my phone had run up like so four pound bill. <laughs> and I had to pay it, because I'd only reported it stolen after a certain time. And I was like, I don't know. 21 or something oh my God, yeah. and um, I didn't want to pay it because it wasn't mine but then my dad was like oh well you know it will affect your credit rating so I had to pay yeah. this hundreds of pound bill I was
1: upset That's like a, yeah double whammy you get your phone installed and yes. you've got to pay off bad times
0: <laughs> so yeah I think I had to pay as you go for a while after that because I was so distressed <laughs> by it safe. yeah yeah it was terrible yeah. um okay and how did you learn about money management, if you don't mind me
1: asking? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I was reflecting on this actually earlier when I saw it. Um, yeah, I guess kind of a combination. Um, so as some of the young adults in our research said, you just kind of pick things up as you go along. And I think it is quite hard to pin down any point in my life where I really kind of sat down and nailed money management. Um I'm probably quite grateful my, my dad trains an accountant and was then a finance director so I had that uh, sort of at home and I remember when I went off to university and kind of sat down with him and worked out a budget I guess that's the first time that I'd really done that um, and kind of gone into that much detail and suddenly I guess it's kind of the reality then a bit of it like actually if you don't stick to this you're just not going to have any money to eat at the end of the month. <laughs> so it kind of hits it home a bit um, but yeah I always had somewhere to go to ask about advice um and I still do ask him for advice um so I'm kind of lucky in that regard um but yeah I think a lot of young adults don't have that resource to kind of tap into and then yeah certainly a lot of them in this research said things about you know like oh I just kind of find my own way or kind of pick it up as I go along and um yeah they didn't really have any kind of clear source that they'd go to a couple have been into banks and got advice from banks and found that was really really helpful but they were definitely in the minority when I read
0: that actually I was quite surprised because I was thinking oh do banks do that because I hardly ever go into a bank these days kind of, everything's online or like yeah. I think maybe if for Christmas my nan or my mother-in-law gives me some money I go into a bank to pay it in for <laughs> like a cheque I think that's basically my only interaction with going physically into a bank so I didn't know that they still did
1: that kind of thing yeah like, i don't think we asked we didn't ask it in the quantitative survey but it would have been really interesting to ask like when was the last time you actually went into a bank physically yeah. in person um yeah certainly among my peer group it's mainly to, like paying a check at christmas yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah, um so when i was
0: i was just so when i was writing the questions for us it, obviously i thought the same things like when was my introduction to money management and when i was at school um I think, so what is now HSBC, which yeah. would have been Midland, I think, at the time, um, they used to do something for schools. So you'd have a like, bank at lunchtime once a week or something like that. And mm-hmm. I used to be one of the people who ran it. Um, that's the kind of geeky school kid I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was my first kind of proper introduction, I guess, to money management and stuff. And we had yeah. to like cash up and stuff. And presumably people... I can't remember exactly what we did, but I just... It made me remember about it when I was writing this, uh, the questions. So that was, I don't know, presumably they have outreach programmes for schools now and so on.
1: Yeah, well, there's, I guess this is another thing. I mean, um, yeah, prior to working at Britain Thinks, so I was at the Confederation of British Industry and working as there um education policy advisor and there were so many businesses who run outreach programs doing kind of financial literacy i mean barclays life skills is a classic example of a company that does so much going out of schools um i know a couple of others as well um so there is that resource out there but i guess it just doesn't reach all young adults um and that's where the problem lies um Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: And I guess you have to go to the kind of school where they think that's important. So my school, they they thought that kind of thing was important and they trusted us to do that stuff. So I guess if you go to a different school, people might not want to do that and so on. Um, Actually, so on the stuff I noticed here, sorry, I'm just grabbing a copy of the report. It was on page 12, I think. No, there was one where it... Ah, here, the managing money part. Yeah. These were really, really interesting. Um, Yeah. Kind of the... So I was just wondering what when you looked at the results, what jumped out at you as a surprise? So um, obviously people can't see this, but I'm looking at the graph that says money management actions taken in the last 12 months by the young people who were surveyed. So.
1: Yeah, um, so I guess we were sort of surprised how many of them were taking actions to manage their money. I didn't know whether that was just me uh, assuming they would be rubbish at it and doing them a disservice. Um, but yeah, so like over, or around 80% had checked their current account balance and around 80% were checking their bank statements. Um, but we tended to find that the most popular actions that they were taking were quite light touch, so just kind of logging onto their phone and checking how much was in their account. Um, very few had like a longer term or kind of proactive approach to managing their money. So we had sort of like around 40% that they would made a budget in the last 12 months, um, which is also kind of higher than I was expecting in the survey. But when we asked about it in the qualitative workshops, it was often the fact that, They were really worried towards the end of month that they're not going to make it to payday, so they budgeted for that last week um, because they were low on cash. Well, yeah, so that's what they called it, Um, and that would like get them through until their next paycheck. But it was it was rare that they were kind of budgeting twelve months in advance to save up for something or anything more kind of long term than that. But I think also it's important to note that a lot of the young adults we spoke to were thinking quite short term. Um, just because they didn't know what job they were going to be doing in 12 months' time, they didn't know where they were going to be living, they didn't know um, what they'd be doing, and then kind of wanted to be open to opportunities as well. So I uh, don't think we can be too hard your else for not thinking that far ahead, because they often just felt the pace of their lives just changing so quickly they couldn't.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, um, when I asked you originally about why you'd chosen this mm. particular, you know, people at that stage of life, as you said, it was kind of a stage of flux, so as a result, there's lots of things going on. Yeah. They're just trying to find their place in the world. as yeah. anybody is at that kind of age, you know? Yeah. Um, so no, I wouldn't be too harsh on them for that, I think. Um, okay, the... I'd like to explore this. Five tips for communicating to young adults. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, so I'd like people to have kind of actionable stuff if they yeah. listen. So could you kind of take us through those if you're okay, or kind of pick out one that you think is especially important or so on?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, we tested kind of a whole range of money management tips or kind of rules of thumb that young people could use. Um, and some were liked more than others, but we kind of arrived at five key principles that's really important to bear in mind when communicating with young adults. Um, I think I'll, I'll just pick out a couple if that's all right because I don't want to bore you <laughs> with all of them. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, firstly, It was really important to young adults to make things feel achievable. So most of them did want to manage their money better, but it was a bit daunting, it was a bit scary, they didn't know how to get started. Um, So they wanted kind of clear goals that they could aim for and that seemed relevant to them. So we tested some tips around kind of save... Save a pen for a pension a final pension like 20 times your income and that just got some results <laughs> yeah some young adults were just like oh that's so much i don't even know how to get started on that but they like tips that were based on kind of you know put away a, a fiver if you've got it a spare they just like things that they could kind of chip away at um and get a foot in the door and appreciated that that would build up to a bigger amount over time but it seemed achievable to them so that was quite important um and I think, again, it's just about sort of empowering young adults and giving them, giving them steps that they could take. So they knew, they often knew that they should be saving more. It was like how to go about doing that, those kind of practical actions that they could engage with. Yeah. So we tested tips around, you know, um, saving for a rainy day and stuff like that. And they are like, oh, I know I should be doing that. That doesn't tell me anything new but they liked things that pointed them towards using budget planners or using apps to manage their money um because that helped them like with a clear a clear strategy that they could go away and kind of look up and and download an app to their phone or kind of make a budget um, so they wanted that kind of clarity of actions that they could be taking um that's your question related to that actually yeah, of course. so
0: um it's to do with I I saw in my notes I have a very short note that says technology versus self control yeah um so uh, one of the things that young people um, in your survey picked out was the fact that willpower is super important. But then on the other hand, a lot of them were saying they didn't really have that willpower. Uh, so I was my first thought was, oh, okay, well, what about things like direct debits? and yeah. Sorry, it would be standing orders, wouldn't it? But, you know, yeah. how can we encourage young people to use technology to bypass the whole self-control thing? Which, to be honest, everyone finds difficult, right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's exactly that. So... Most of them felt that if they had access to their money, they would inevitably spend it. And they were quite worried about that. Um, And some of them had quite, I guess, old school ways of dealing with that. So they'd give their nan £10 on payday, like sometimes just in cash, um, for her to look after because that took it out of their hands. Um, Some of them who had slightly more sophisticated techniques did have direct debits set up from their current account to a savings account, which went out directly after payday. Um, and they thought that was a really great strategy. And again, it just took that temptation away. Their money was kind of, it was going out for them. It's fine. They can touch it. didn't have to interact with it. Um, and those that hadn't heard of that as a mechanism all thought it was a great idea. They kind of, kind of a bit of a light bulb moment of like, oh, that would mean I didn't have to engage my money. It would just be sorted for me. Um, but it was surprising how few knew about that or kind of used apps to manage their money, I think in the quantitative survey, is around 30%. That's actually, actually really surprising, I'm very surprised by that. Yeah, and it was slightly more popular in London, um, and we did some groups in London and some in Manchester, but even among the London groups, um, still quite a substantial proportion weren't using an app. Is all.
0: that because, um, so obviously I've made a massive assumption that people have bank accounts, which yeah. I guess is an assumption I shouldn't really make, so um, does that have anything to do with it at all?
1: Um, so certainly all the people that we spoke to have bank accounts. Um, but I think the thing that did make a big difference in this was some people talking about being paid cash in hand or weekly wages. Mm-hmm. And they said that this made managing their money much more difficult because they physically had to interact with that cash and then go to a bank to pay it in, for example. Um, and they felt that that put the temptation much higher, kind of, it was just much harder to control their spending. Um, and they sort of thought that, if they had a monthly salary paid directly into their bank account, it would be much easier to manage their money. And to even um, think
0: about being paid cash in hand; that'd be a disaster, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, again, I think that like, I think that is really interesting, and um, just want to think about it in terms of. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess it's important to not make assumptions about how young adults are set up to manage their money in the first place. It's easy to think that they'd all have a bank account. Um, I mean, I have a bank account, you have a bank account, I'm sure. So <laughs> we just assume that that's the norm. Um, but it certainly wasn't the norm that everyone was getting paid kind of a monthly salary.
0: So um, my uh, thought process now mm-hmm. related to that is, um, again, I'm making assumptions. So I am wondering if... Uh, Young people who are paid cash in hand are, generally speaking, paid less than people who might have a salaried uh, job. So, um, in essence, how to phrase it, but your young people might be being penalised because they're already having a lower paid job and then they're less likely to save stuff because of the temptations that anyone would have been paid cash in hand like can you hear what i'm trying to say as a yeah question
1: i don't feel like we didn't collect data on kind of the amount that people were paid so i don't think we can really answer it from this research alone but it certainly sounds like a really uh interesting and sort of plausible hypothesis that it'd be really great to explore more
0: i love that that's such a researcher answer
1: <laughs> we didn't explore <laughs> that aspect
0: I that. in our research <laughs> <laughs> Answer everything. No no, no, man. I'm just, I'm just teasing. I love researcher answers. (laughs) Okay, so, um, yes, all right. The least popular area. Sorry, I should. We've spoken about credit already, actually. But least popular area that your workshop participants wanted to find out about was short-term savings. Um, Why?
1: I think a lot of them felt that they had some knowledge of how to do that. Um, So I think a lot of them thought they were bad at doing it, but from a willpower point of view. But they did know how they could manage their savings on a short term. But I think we were talking from um, young people kind of define that short term as maybe sort of one to two weeks. Um, so interesting to know whether that kind of yeah matches up with what everyone else would call short term. Um, but yeah, I think they they thought they had that sort of under control. Particularly if they were on a monthly salary, they kind of could take that out of their monthly pay packet. Um, so it just wasn't as I guess it wasn't an unknown whereas credit and investments they really wanted to know more about just because they didn't really know where to start
0: so to your point about what you define as short term it's interesting because i noticed like later on in that section uh, one of the tips that the report gave was about having three months of salary saved Mm. and i was reading that thinking um you know like i'm 37 and last year was the first year that i actually thought yeah i should probably have some income saved (laughs) because I get paid fine and everything was good but I hadn't really thought about what I would do if I needed three months uh, savings so it was interesting that you're saying that young people thought in another kind of one to two week time periods and many people don't have a three month buffer, I would suggest.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah I think that's absolutely true. I think some of the um, those who just left university were thinking slightly further ahead because they got used to budgeting, say, over a whole term. Mm. Um, or, yeah, some even slightly further ahead than that. Um, but certainly most of those who just left school were kind of... Um just university were tending to think much more short-term in their savings. Yeah,
0: fair enough. I'm just thinking, my well, yeah. year 11 class, think that their GCSE exams are about 25 years away.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true, isn't it? I mean, you're to some, but yeah, you don't sort of develop your perception of time develops <laughs> as you get older, doesn't it? So <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And um, so what surprised you in the research? We spoke a little bit about things that surprised you, but what kind of were you not at all expecting?
1: Um I guess the things that surprised me most were the willpower point, the the fact that so many young people were just like, I just couldn't. If I had if I had my cash, I would spend it. Um, and again, the kind of um, yeah, the people who were giving money um, as cash to family members to look after um, just seems a bit of a world away from a world where we have Monzo and we have loads of apps that help you control your banking. Mm. Um, it just seemed quite like a, a step back, quite like a basic method to be using. Um, so that surprised me a bit. And I think also, though, um, how engaged young people were in this. Uh, so I guess there's a trend of, sort of stereotyping millennials as these kind of uh, you know, splashing their cash on avocado on toast and whatever and not really <laughs> thinking about the future at all. Um And and some people did reference that in the groups, but I think generally, young adults are really switched on and wanted to know more about these topics because they did appreciate it was really important. Um, And yeah, it was just the lack of like how to go about doing it, but they were the motivation was definitely there.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, in terms of what surprised me, it just reminded me when you said that was uh, they were um, managing money was seen as in the top three along with. Uh, what was it now?
1: Getting uh, a good education yeah. and was the same and then um, spending time with friends and family. Yeah was,
0: exactly and um, it was uh, seen as higher than having a job that you enjoyed. Yeah. Um, so I found that you know firstly it was interesting that it was so high and yeah. also that it was above that that I was quite surprised by that. I don't know what I expected but I, th- I thought it was surprising.
1: Yeah I think we were slightly surprised by that as well I think it just came out slightly higher than we would have thought it would be but I think it also links to um, some of the ways that young adults conceptualise money, because they often thought about um, money in terms of what it could buy them. So, like, £50 is a gig ticket, and, like, £40 is a good night out with my friends, and £80 is a really good night out. Um, And so they often did make that link between if they did manage their money and save a certain amount, Um, then they could buy those experiences that were really important for them. So, yeah, spending time with friends and family came out as the most important priority, but a lot of them made the link that actually that required managing their money well, usually, to be able to enjoy that. Mm. Um, So I think that's part of the reason why it came out so high. It wasn't necessarily valued in and of itself. Like, it wasn't necessarily seen as um, an an end in itself to be great at managing your money. Which is good,
0: actually. That's, That's promising.
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah. It was about how can I use... How can I manage my money well to allow me to do the things I want to do with my life?
0: So related to that point, uh, there was a quote that I picked out, which is, money is valued for what you can deliver, which is basically what you're just saying. Yeah. Um, and I guess I, um, you started to do it a little bit, but just wondering from your research, you know, how do young people view money as a concept? Because that's kind of what we're talking about, isn't it? Rather than yeah. um, something yeah. as intrinsically valuable in its own right.
1: Yeah, I think that was the main thing that came through, is the way they kind of parcel it up as these different sort of packages and, and what it could buy them. Um, you know, I think all young adults were, yeah, they were interested. They did find it kind of quite fascinating. And I guess certainly for a lot of uh, um, those who are at university, for example, it's like become a big thing around sort of managing their, their student loan and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, it was exciting to people um, because it, it signalled independence. Um, I think that was a key thing. Um, and the fact that it signalled or kind of equated to different experiences that they could buy. I think those are kind of the two two key ways that they saw it in this research.
0: Interesting. Okay, so as a result of reading that when I was on the Tube today, I thought, okay, what does money mean to me? And uh, I think I see money as freedom mm-hmm. and security, if they're not contradictory mm-hmm. terms. Um, so how do you think you see money?
1: Cool. Oh. Um... God, what a question to spring on me.
0: Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I guess, yeah, I think it does give you the freedom to do the things that you want to do in life. Um, I think that's that's fair. Um, I think the security, like, your thing about security, I think is really interesting. I think um, once you have a certain amount of it, yeah, it does guarantee you security. I think it's the security to, to take risks. And, yeah, I think it all comes down, to me, I think it would all come down to, enabling you to do the things that you want to do in life yeah and um, whether that's buying you those opportunities or providing that cushion that if you if you take a risk and it goes wrong you're still going to be okay
0: i think so i um, reading this report made me feel uh hopeful i think um especially that bit about how young people saw money as something that in itself wasn't that important but it was more what it could do mm. for them i thought that was um yeah, yeah uh, promising really um okay and we've kinda of jumped around a bit. I think we've covered everything. Um what actionable point there. Yeah. So let's start again in English. Sure. What actionable points would you like people to take away from this discussion, Charlotte?
1: Yeah, well I think I mean, one of the stats that we haven't covered is the um, kind of the link with schools and education here, is that 85% of young adults that we surveyed wish they'd learned more about money management at school. Which I think it's quite a strong figure, so it's sort of more than four and five saying um, they wish they had learned more about it. Um, and obviously, I'm sure you'll appreciate this as a maths teacher, we don't want to push loads of things back onto teachers, they're busy people, <laughs> the curriculum's already really packed. It's like, how do you find time to educate young adults about those about those concepts during school? But I think it does indicate that they did want a bit more preparation on that before they have to, to get a job and to kind of move out into the real world, if you like. Um So I think there is, you know, it's an ongoing challenge and like I mentioned, there are a lot of organisations, charities, companies that are doing a lot of great work reaching out to schools. Um, but I think... Promoting more of that is probably always going to be key until every young adult feels that they've got some kind of financial education behind them, um, so that would be one thing. And then I think it's something sort of fi- for financial firms as much as anything, it's just communicating with young adults in a language that they can understand, um, and hopefully some of the tips in, in this research help them to do that a bit better and kind of engage with young adults, because. It is clear that some of them did find the language around financial products very daunting. Um, And things like credit, ultimately, they are going to need to engage with it. Mm -hmm. So it's being able to communicate with young adults about how to do that safely um, in a language that they understand and that empowers them to do it. um, So they don't run the risk of getting into debt. So I think there, yeah, hopefully there's kind of um, a few actionable points that can be taken away, both by financial companies, but also, um, hopefully, a little bit by the education um, and policy space as well.
0: What would you recommend for, um, say, anyone really who has young people in their lives and want them to know a bit bit more about money or to be thinking more about how they manage things? So I'm thinking about it with a few different hats on. Obviously, I'm an educator as well, and I guess I'm kind of in a similar space to you in terms of education and policy and research. But also a parent. Not my young, my small people are not quite at that age yet. They're only like four and seven. Yeah. Um. But you know, from a parent's point of view as well. So I'm I'm asking. A, this is a terrible question. I've actually so many questions. <laughs> but um. Okay. So from each uh, perspective, imagining someone. I'm um, so I'm guessing because we're pretty niche. Young people are not listening to this, right? <laughs> but what would your? You've already said what you'd like for people from financial. Yeah. In the financial services industry okay what would you recommend for um say parents how can they talk to their young people to help them have a to be feel more comfortable about this kind of stuff
1: yeah um i think it's probably sort of going a bit beyond the research but to be honest i think it's Looking for those opportunities to engage young people as they're growing up on financial topics. I mean, I don't think any of the young adults we spoke to would have particularly welcomed a sort of three-hour lecture from one of their parents at age 18. Like, here's everything you need to know. (laughs) Um, And a lot of them did reference kind of picking things up as they went along or kind of like learning about it casually. So I think there are probably opportunities day to day that parents can use to speak to their kids about financial uh, financial topics and how to manage money I and mean, it's that kind of drip feed approach um and also i mean a lot of young adults reference the fact that they wanted to know where they could go to ask for advice so even if it's just parents being really honest that you know like talk to me if you've got concerns about how you're managing your money and making kind of de that and removing the taboo element of money management i think would be really important because a lot of these young adults felt like they didn't really know where to go mm. um and that's part of the problem so yeah i think yeah um, looking for opportunities to to build it into every day um, and also making sure that young young people as they're growing up can can go and ask for help.
0: Um, I guess that's also uh, similar advice would be useful for people who are teachers as well or in schools and that kind of thing. Yeah sure. Um, just to kind of make those opportunities around.
1: Yeah and some of them mentioned you know why don't we learn about this in maths as well and um,
0: they do in my class. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean,
1: we all know that. Like, yeah, uh, building, building in real life examples for, is a classic, but it, young adults think it would help as well. And um, I'm sure that they probably did get some of it. <laughs> might not have all sunk in, but um, that never hurts, I think.
0: Um, there used to be, I don't know if it still exists, but an organisation called PFEG, I can't remember what it stands for now, Personal Finance Education Group, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and they used to do a financial literacy yeah. uh, course, um, maybe talking... Six seven years ago now, uh, but um, you know, there are loads of things like that out there. But yeah. as you say, it, it requires people having to sli- slot it into the curriculum at some point,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: so, I it's guess
1: it's always the challenge, yeah,
0: it's always the thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlotte, if I really enjoyed it, thank you very much. thank Um, you. yeah, it's been great, cool, thanks very much. Hey, hey people, I love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. 1. Subscribe. Press the subscribe button on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. 2. Share. Share this episode with somebody who you know will find it interesting or is affected by the specific issues covered. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also feel free to contact us via the links on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Bye.